0: You are tuned to KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's 6 p.m., Tuesday, May 16th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The California report zeroes in on an effort to expand the Berryessa Snow Mountain National Monument. It would protect a critical haven for biological diversity that has special meaning to native tribes. Hydrologist Steve Baker talks snowpack, snowmelt, and gold panning in his conversation with Paul Emery. And in today's Money Matters commentary, Mark Cuneberti's hot topic is the California Fair plan route to securing fire insurance.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In Oakland, students and instructors are back in their classrooms today after a seven-day teacher strike ended with a tentative deal between the district and the teachers' union. KQED's Vanessa Rancaño reports.
2: Oakland parent Kimmy Lee has two kids in the district. She says she supported teachers' demands, but she was still ready for this to end. We didn't think it would last this long. You know, we're all like, oh, maybe it's two days, maybe it's three days. So the fact that it was seven or eight days, um, that was a bit of a shock. The deal includes a 10 percent raise and one-time $5,000 bonuses. Oakland Unified Superintendent Kyla johnson Tremell called the $70 million compensation package historic. My goal has always been to stabilize the foundation of our district so that eventually we could position ourselves to pay our teachers and educators what they deserve. We realize we're not there yet. Uh, This is one crucial step towards getting there. First-year teachers will get a nearly $10,000 pay bump, and they'll reach the maximum salary faster. Union leaders say that will help the district recruit new teachers and keep them around. But they also say the strike was about more than money. They fought to ensure the union has input in future discussions around reparations for Black students and school closures. The tentative deal needs approval from union members and the Oakland Unified School Board. For the California report, I'm Vanessa Rancagno.
1: An update on the story we've been following. Yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill creating a $150 million distressed hospital loan program. This will provide zero-interest loans to nonprofit or public hospitals facing extreme financial distress. It's hoped it will keep facilities open and assist in the reopening of hospitals that have been forced to close. The bill was fast-tracked following the closure of Madera Community Hospital in the Central Valley late last year.
3: Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation. Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the health care system undermines the pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org slash lbca. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. In
1: 2015, the Berryessa Snow Mountain region became a national monument. It spans hundreds of miles of rugged hillsides and canyons, stretching from Napa to Mendocino counties. The monument status brought protections for the area's biologically diverse landscape. But one large swath of land nestled in the monument center was excluded from protection. Now, environmental groups and tribes are trying to fix that. Cab Radio's Manola Sakaida visited the area to learn more.
4: I'm standing at the summit of a ridge known as Molokoyuk. That means Condor Bridge in Petlin. On a clear day from this viewpoint, which is about 3,000 feet high, you can see hundreds of miles around.
0: You can see the Sierras now because it's a little hazy. You can't see Shasta. But over here we have Snow Mountain and Goat Mountain.
4: That's Sandra Schubert. She's the executive director of the conservation nonprofit Tuliomi. In the car ride up, she told me this area is known as a haven for biological diversity. Researchers and environmentalists like herself have long advocated for protections that would keep it
0: safe. The unique geology and the terrain and the environment is one reason it's such a biodiversity-critical spot, and that's why there's so many rare plants.
4: She says plans for a wind turbine project in the area led to Malakoyuk getting excluded from the 2015 National Monument Declaration. But more recently, with those plans pushed to the side, environmental groups are hopeful it can gain that status soon. A bill moving through Congress would offer permanent protections for the area. Northern California Congressman John Garamendi is one of the legislators who introduced the bill in March.
5: There are creatures and plants that are in that area that have found no place else in the uh, nation. And so we're going to expand uh, the uh, Berryessa Snow Mountain National Monument to include this very unique part of California.
4: Nick Jensen is a botanist who toured Malakoyuk with me. He's also the conservation director for the California Native Plant Society and a longtime advocate for the area. As we drove around, he told me this place is home to 7% of California's native flora and more than 30 rare plants.
3: This is an area that our members and supporters have been visiting for, like, literally for decades and wanting to conserve. So my involvement was just, you know, carrying on
4: that legacy. But the area isn't just a scientific marvel. It's also deeply important to tribes in the area, like the Yochitihi Wintu Nation, who changed the name of the ridge from Walker Ridge to Malakloyuk last year. Leland Kinter is the tribe's treasurer. He told me the area we now know as a national monument was, for him, one big, beautiful backyard.
6: I remember riding in the back of pickup trucks going there. And at the time, I didn't know what folks in the front were looking for, but they would be going to look for medicines and different plants and things. So some gathering in those areas before I knew where we were a lot of times on the dirt roads up there and in the valleys, you know.
4: As a kid, he says his elders told him about the connections the he had to the land. At one point in time, young men in his tribe would run along the ridges of Malakoyuk to deliver messages.
6: Just sometimes you think, well, what a tremendous amount of shape you had to be in to deliver a message over the top of that ridge, you know, because they would run. They would run those ridges.
4: The bill's fate will likely be decided in the fall. If it passes, the Ochedihi would take part in managing the area. Kinter says part of that management could include the reintroduction of condors, which once lived in the area and are culturally significant to the tribe. He also says he'd like to provide more information for visitors.
6: I would like people to know that even though the landscape may look rough and hard, that there is a fragility to it. Sometimes it takes longer for these things to heal if they've been disturbed. And I think if people knew more about those things, that they would take more care.
4: If people know more about the land they visit, he says they can still admire its beauty while also respecting it. For The California Report, I'm Manola Sakaida in Molokoyuk. And finally,
1: SeaWorld is one of San Diego's most famous attractions, but municipal authorities are accusing the theme part of being a rental scofflaw, owing San Diego some $10 million in property payments going back to the height of the pandemic. Yesterday, San Diego City Council voted to take SeaWorld to court if it doesn't pay up, and the city attorney accused the park of, quote, greed and arrogance. No comment yet from SeaWorld, reports the San Diego Union-Tribune and that is the california report for tuesday may 16th we're a production of kqed public radio i'm your host Saul gonzalez thanks so much for listening and we'll talk tomorrow
0: in regional news two documentaries about chinese migrant workers who participated in the building of the transcontinental railroad will be screened at 7 p.m wednesday at the nevada theater The event, made possible by the Friends of the Nevada County Libraries, is free and open to the public. The two documentaries to be screened are Legacy, produced by Joe Flannery with the U.S. Forest Service, and Going Home by documentary filmmaker Min Zhou. Both filmmakers will be present for a question-answer session after the double feature. Legacy tells the story of Chinese migrant workers who helped build the Transcontinental Railroad through Donner Pass, Going Home recounts the lives of 13 Chinese railroad workers and the discovery of their remains in Carlin, Nevada in 1996. The film chronicles efforts to rebury them in the Carlin City Cemetery in 2018, after more than two decades of effort by the Carlin community. Margaret Gilmore, branch manager at the Madeline Helling Library, noted that the films were programmed to dovetail with themes in the book Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, U's book is the focus of the current Nevada County Reads program, now in its last month. You will appear at the Miner's Foundry on May 27. The South Yuba River Citizens League is recruiting volunteers for its River Ambassador Program. With an estimated 800,000 plus people visiting the South Yuba River State Park every year, the Ambassador program was developed in partnership between Circle and State Parks to ensure that the Yuba River is safeguarded amid growing visitation. From Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend, Circle's River Ambassador Volunteers educate the community to care for the river. They promote an ethic of responsible, non-polluting use of the river by speaking one-on-one with visitors at crossings, beaches, and on trails. To volunteer, go to Circle's website at yubariver.org or call the Circle offices at 530-265-5961. The Union newspaper is reporting that the closed Owl restaurant on Mill Street in Grass Valley will reopen later this month as The Phoenix. Teresa Thomas, who the Union says formerly owned The Poor House on Main Street, is the owner of The New Phoenix. Music, including karaoke and performing artists, will be a part of the restaurant almost every night it's open, Thomas said. Its hours will be Wednesday through Sunday from 5 p.m. to midnight. The Phoenix is in the center of the Mill Street promenade where the watershed at the Owl was previously located. Before that, the restaurant bar was simply known as the Owl. Now here's your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low around 59. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 84 and a low around 57. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, clear with a low around 41. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 73. Wednesday night, mostly clear with a low around 42. For Sacramento and Woodland tonight, clear with a low around 60. It will be a sunny Wednesday with a high near 93 and a nighttime low of 57. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. First came the snow, good news for all of us, and now comes the snow melt, which is good news for gold seekers, among others. But when it comes to almond orchards, the flooding might be too much of a good thing. These topics are just part of the flow in this wide-ranging conversation between KVMR's Paul Emery and hydrologist Steve Baker.
5: This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Steve, uh, things have really come alive with the aftermath of this really healthy wet season. I mean, snowpack is bulging. What steps are being taken to handle all that melting snow that the lower elevations are now receiving and will continue to receive?
3: Well, first and foremost, the snowpack is being carefully measured. That's a big deal. It's being accomplished in a lot of different ways, and that's including flying over the mountains at 23,000-foot elevation and then collecting all of this data. And uh, it's, they're trying to estimate both when and also how fast is this snow going to be melting. So all this important uh, stuff, uh, information, is going to be used to manage the water releases from our dams and also identify some of those areas that might be experiencing flooding in the future. The snowpack reached its peak in April, okay? It was was measured to be 2.7 times the average. That's a lot of extra snow. At that time, it held over 40 million acre feet of water. You know how how much water that is? Take the the entire volume of all the state reservoirs all combined. That's how much water was stored in April in our snowpack. So there's an enormous amount of snowpack data being collected right now for predicting floods. And uh, well into spring, the snowpack has appeared white and clean and and very frozen. But now the snowpack's darkening in its color, which means it's warming up, and temperatures are starting to rise. So the melting is accelerating.
5: Well, that should be good for some things.
3: Oh, it is, especially gold panning. I <laughs> can imagine as, these, as the rivers across the state uh, flow, they increase in their flows beyond their normal spring flows, there's going to be a lot more sediment flow that will be carried by that current. And this sediment load eventually is going to deposit somewhere down gradient. And guess what? There could be a lot of gold in those deposits. So this year's atmospheric river storms really has gifted every gold seeker with an opportunity to find gold. And on top of that, the price of gold, I don't know if you noticed, Paul, but the price of gold practically reached $2,000 an ounce last week. No wonder
5: Rise Gold wanted to build a uh, gold mine in Grass Valley.
3: that's another story.
5: We'll get to that one some other time. Well, isn't the melting snowpack also benefiting groundwater recharge projects in the Central Valley?
3: Yes, uh, that's true. But lately, we've been finding a, f- a hiccup in this. The orchards don't weather very well in floods and droughts is what we're, we're finding. The almond orchards are showing some sensitivities. Um uh, Case in point, point, one one approach to recharging an aquifer, to refilling a groundwater aquifer, is to flood orchards in the spring and that water percolates down into the ground. But what's happened is the farm advisors have noticed that in the almond tree orchards in particular, they're finding that both timing and duration of flooding really has a huge impact on the health of that almond orchard. As long as the soil temperatures are low and the floodings contained to within, oh, you know, like a week or, or less, the trees remain pretty healthy. But you extend the event later in the year when the soil temperatures are, are warmer so there's more activity in the ground. Uh, or, uh, you know, also the flood orchards uh, are, are flooded beyond, say, 10 days up. Then you start killing mature trees. This is not something they realized before. So they're now looking at this strategy, and they're seeing it's not working quite so well, and they're going back to the drawing board. So we're still we're still looking for realistic, scalable strategies to deal with flooding and groundwater recharge. There's more to come on that.
5: So no matter what happens, something happens, right? <laughs> right.
3: Hey, The world of water.
5: World of water. So you have a lot of news. Thanks. I All
3: right.
5: Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, And that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co.
0: Cancellation of fire insurance is a depressingly familiar topic of conversation in Nevada County. As many insurance companies refuse to insure houses at risk for destruction by wildfire, some property owners must turn to the California Fair Plan, regarded as the insurer of last resort. In today's Money Matters commentary, Mark Cunaberti provides some timely tips about the Fair Plan.
7: Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. My phone is again ringing about fire insurance. Well, it always rings about such things, but the calls in question seem to be picking up lately. With the increase in calls, I thought I would pen some insights about the infamous Cal Fair plan. Due diligence requires that I disclose to you that I own an insurance agency, possess California Insurance License OL34249, and am a licensed producer for CalFair. It's no secret insurance companies have been scaling back on writing fire policies in many parts of California and indeed the country. According to the Congressional Research Source, the number of wildfires have increased 15.8% from the year 2018 to 2022. Without a doubt, newsworthy wildfires have obliterated entire neighborhoods and towns in the last decade or so. Insurance companies have sat up and taken notice of this fact. Many are canceling longtime customers while some insurance companies are pulling out of certain areas altogether. The companies are not actually leaving California as there's too much business here. What they are doing is refusing to write the fire portion of the coverage. The reason is simple. With the increase in devastatingly large fires as global temperatures rise, they can no longer properly assess their risk profile when it comes to fire losses. Although insurance companies may be able to take a few houses burning down, a thousand house hit can cause devastating damage to company balance sheets, or worse, drive them into severe financial duress, if not bankruptcy altogether. As a result, many of the household name insurance companies have deleted fire from their policy coverage, along with some related coverages. Enter CalFair, which stands for California Fair Access to Insurance Requirements. Simply put, the Department of Insurance requires and wants property owners to be able to insure their investment. Since many insurers cannot accurately predict the risk to them from an ever-increasing number of devastating wildfires, many will no longer include fire in their coverages. CalFair was established in 1968 to supplement basic home coverage and now is simply used for this wildfire risk. CalFair, contrary to what some believe, is not a state-owned company. CalFair is simply all the insurance companies that are licensed to do property insurance business in the state, slammed into one big ball of a company, being an entity comprised of many massive companies. It might be said CalFair may be one of the most financially secure insurance companies on the planet. I get a lot of complaints about the price of CalFair plans. I answer, it's not the orneriness of CalFair that causes high premiums. It's the risk of fire in your area i add to that they may be the only company willing to insure you and if you don't like it don't buy it not much of a choice i know but if you're stuck in a hole and only one guy throws you a rope you don't complain either that or don't take the end of the rope. In general, you will get fire insurance, and sometimes you'll get it from CalFair, if not another insurance company. After all, that is what CalFair is there for, to insure your home when no one else will. Simply put, every insurance agent will attempt to place you with a one policy covers all company or policy. If the agent can't place you outside of CalFair, that is where they will go next. Remember, CalFair is the last-ditch fire insurance when you can't find it anywhere else. If you do get your fire insurance through CalFair, you'll need to purchase a Difference in Conditions Plan, also known as a DIC policy, written by a regular insurance company to cover other common perils like theft water damage, falling objects, liability, and power surges. While many home and business owners, neighbors, and friends are getting cancellation notices in their mailbox, don't panic if you get one. Many agents can accommodate your insurance needs by writing both policies, the fire policy through CalFair and the DIC policy with another insurance company. Although it is never ideal to have two policies instead of one, as the insurance companies can fight with each other when you make a claim, we do what we must, right? The other option is, to not insure, and I've spoken to more than a few people who elect to do that, forego their fire insurance. I will close today's newscast by just saying, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I'm watching the market so you don't have to. The newscast expresses my opinion only is not meant as investment advice or insurance advice, or a recommendation to buy or sell anything, nor represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, or insurance company, nor this media outlet as staff members or underwriters. I hold a BN in economics with honors, 1979, and California insurance license all 34249. And our insurance agency is BAP Incorporated, and am a licensed Medicare agent in the state of California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cuniberti.
0: That's our newscast for Tuesday, May 16th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Cesar's Quick Lunch, family-owned, serving Mexican street food seven days a week at their Grass Valley Fowler Center location and in Penn Valley from their mobile food truck Tuesdays through Saturdays, also catering for parties and events. And the 23rd annual Nevada City Film Festival, June 23rd through 25th, bringing independent international cinema to historic downtown Nevada City with films from across the globe, guest filmmakers and special events. Tickets, passes and details at NevadaCityFilmFestival.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. It's membership drive time at KVMR, so support the KVMR News staff by donating at kvmr.org or calling 530-265-9555. We thank you for your support. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.